0: Welcome to the third episode in this series on city diplomacy. My name is Susan and I'll be your host for today's episode. We'll be discussing the city diplomacy of Melbourne, Australia, a city which strives to lead by example, having been ranked the most livable city in the world by The Economist for the sixth year in a row. I'll present an overview of Melbourne's history and governance, its industries and global partnerships, cultural and humanitarian initiatives in a case study in its participation in the 100 Resilient Cities project. Melbourne is the second largest city in Australia and the capital of the state of Victoria, with about 4.9 million residing in Greater Melbourne. Notice that I said Greater Melbourne, which is not to be confused with the much smaller municipality of Melbourne. In fact, While the municipality of Melbourne contains a central business area at the economic heart of the city, Melbourne itself is made up of 32 local governments, each with its own CEO and mayor. Melbourne is overseen by the Lord Mayor, an elected official who serves as the first among equals on this council. Because of the fragmented nature of its local government, Melbourne has earned the moniker of being a city of cities making horizontal integration, collaboration, and cooperation all the more essential. As if things weren't complicated enough, Melbourne also balances the political interests of three tiers of governance, local, state, and federal. Since Australia's constitution is modeled after the American constitution, its system of federalism is similar with the caveat of ceremonial holdover positions from its legacy as a British colony. In Australia, we can observe the partisan perils that befall many liberal democracies with this kind of federalism. The Lord Mayor of Melbourne is registered independent Sally Capp. However, the premier of Victoria is registered with the left-leaning Labour Party, while the centre-right coalition government has controlled the federal administration since 2013, led by Scott Morrison. Navigating city diplomacy within such a complex structure proves daunting. Yet it also allows for increased flexibility, progressive initiatives, continuity and knowledge sharing, which Melbourne has made the best of. Take the issue of multiculturalism and immigration. For instance, Australia has a checkered history with immigration, to say the least. Up until the end of World War II, restrictive immigration practices known as the white Australia policies excluded non-European immigrants, especially those from the Asia Pacific region. Since it removed racial barriers to entry, Australia has shifted from a model of assimilation and integration for immigrants to one of multiculturalism. Though this paradigm has come under attack at the national level with the coalition government in recent years. With fickle national politics and wavering commitments, much of the responsibility for protecting multicultural values has trickled down to states and cities like Melbourne. Melbourne has a vibrant migrant community with over 56% of its residents born overseas. As a hub for technology, education, trade, and the arts, two thirds of Melbourne's jobs are purely knowledge oriented. Many of these migrants join Melbourne's creative class and contribute to the economic dynamism and vibrant open culture that defines Melbourne's identity. Many high skilled jobs in Melbourne are filled by migrant workers in part due to the declining Australian birth rate of the 1990s and the talent gap that followed. They come attracted to the wealth of high paid opportunities and the livability of the city. Migrants constitute the largest source of population growth for Melbourne. They are a critical part of the urban fabric and talent pool, particularly as Melbourne is projected to double its population by 2051 and surpass Sydney as the largest city in Australia. In addition, analysts have noted that Melbourne is more economically and demographically dynamic than Sydney, and Melbourne considers itself the cultural capital of Australia, evidenced by the large number of highly educated creative workers living in the city, and its nearly 400 festivals and artistic celebrations, which are a huge tourist draw. The value that Melbourne places on cultural and economic exchange is reflected in its partnerships with other cities, including six sister c- cities, Osaka, Tianjin, Thessaloniki, Boston, St. Petersburg, and Milan. Notably, Melbourne city website highlights its economic and trade ties with Osaka and Tianjin, two cities in the Asia-Pacific region. Most of these sister city partnerships originated in the 1970s and 80s. Beyond these bilateral relationships, Melbourne has more recently expanded, creating memoranda with five major Chinese cities and participating in the Business Partner City Network, a regional Asia-Pacific network that promotes business exchanges between small to medium businesses in member cities. All of this illuminates the significance of Melbourne's regional diplomacy and economic interdependence with cities in the Asia-Pacific, many of which are in China. These actions undertaken by Melbourne's dedicated Office for International Relations more or less align with actions taken at the state level, as Victoria has established a Memorandum of Understanding agreeing to work with China on its Belt and Road initiative. However, Australia's Morrison government proposed new legislation in December 2020, which would allow the federal government the ability to veto international agreements involving a sub-national actor, if the federal government deems that the agreement is inconsistent with national foreign policy. Proponents of city diplomacy stress that the flexibility and openness of city networks is precisely what we need more of in international relations. This is a textbook case of the tensions that can spark between different levels of government as transnational diplomatic networks challenge the Westphalian sovereignty of the nation state. Melbourne itself is a microcosm of the globalized world. Melbourne emphasizes multiculturalism on many of its statements and highlights its mosaic approach to cultural integration, celebrating the many diverse and differentiated local neighborhoods that come together to form the city. Despite its reputation as a multicultural country, immigration to Australia is at its 19 year low and has been declining since 2008. Australia's government has been condemned by human rights advocates for its offshore migrant detention centers, where all migrants arriving by boat have been settled since 2013. These criticisms come on the basis of human rights violations, poor living conditions and health services, and dehumanizing and cruel conditions. As Australia's moral authority slips as a result of these centers, which the UN has called abhorrent, Melbourne's leadership as a refugee welcome zone has risen. The city boasts that it is dedicated to, quote, welcoming refugees into the community, upholding the human rights of refugees, demonstrating compassion for refugees and enhancing cultural and religious diversity in the community, end quote. All in all, the refugee population in the city numbers over 20,000. The locally differentiated nature of Melbourne city organization coexists with an uneven cultural geography. Greater Dandenong, one of Melbourne's 32 municipalities, is Melbourne's most diverse municipality with its largest refugee population. Greater Dandenong hosted a 2015 joint mayoral forum on refugees seeking asylum, resulting in a joint statement in the local government mayoral tax- task force supporting people seeking asylum. Additionally, the municipality has its own 2018 to 2021 action plan for refugee resettlement and hosts a number of festivals and refugee recognition events to boot. This is one instance of how Melbourne's unique city structure allows for a hyper-local focus as governments can meet the specific needs of their constituencies. However, we can imagine that the overlapping nature of Melbourne's governments can prove to be logistically challenging the city and cities of Melbourne must strive to avoid duplication and ensure that resources are efficiently allocated across areas of need. It is impossible, furthermore, to understand Melbourne's place in the world without acknowledging its Aboriginal history. Melbourne is situated on land that historically was occupied by the Boon Wurrung, and Wurrungjeri Woi peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nation. The rich Aboriginal heritage of Melbourne is one which the city has sought to emphasize and celebrate in recent years. Global city networks like the World Cities Culture Forum have highlighted the role of Aboriginal Australians in forging the heritage of the city. Melbourne's official city documents and statements frequently begin with a land acknowledgement and efforts to address the Aboriginal community include numerous celebrations, days of recognition, and a reconciliation action plan for the city. Through these initiatives, the Council of Melbourne has made efforts to include Aboriginal actors and stakeholders in shaping municipal initiatives. Additionally, they have striven to support Aboriginal businesses through knowledge and resource sharing, marketing support, business and entrepreneurship initiatives, and council procurement, a separate team, known as the Aboriginal Melbourne team, works with the city in liaises between the city government and Aboriginal community as the city implements its programming. Melbourne's increasing awareness of Indigenous presence and issues is indicative of trends in other cities, particularly in countries such as Canada and Australia. Despite these efforts, Melbourne undeniably exists as a result of violent settler colonial processes displacing Aboriginal peoples from the land. Melbourne citizens, when surveyed, expressed support for further recognition for Aboriginal people. However, the Aboriginal presence is not highly visible in the city. In the municipality of Melbourne, only 470 of the 180,000 residents identify as Aboriginal. Moreover, only 12 of the 1400 staff of the city of Melbourne identify as Aboriginal. Given these numbers, we must ask how Indigenous voices can further guide the direction of the city, particularly its relations to the Aboriginal community. The Reconciliation Action Plan is filled with the vocabulary of cooperation, recognition, respect, and opportunity. And it is a good first step for reconciliation. However, an internal 2018 interview that included all Aboriginal staff at the city revealed that 42% of interviewees felt that the city of Melbourne, their employer, was culturally unsafe, and 47% believed that staff were not culturally responsible. When Aboriginal individuals are inadequately represented in decision-making processes, it seems unlikely that Melbourne can represent Aboriginal interests well. Barring the repatriation of native lands, The challenge for Melbourne is to create tangible, durable, transparent and informed initiatives. This would further its leadership and authority as a humane, culturally aware and socially just city on the world stage. Melbourne's participation in the 100 Resilient Cities Initiative funded by the Rockefeller Foundation represents its most ambitious and prominent engagement with a global city network yet. Through the initiative, Melbourne received funding for a chief resilience officer and the development of an urban resilience strategy for two years. Melbourne utilized the resources and expertise of the Rockefeller Rockefeller Foundation's extensive network of other city governments, nonprofits, academics, and specialized experts. Over the course of four months in 2015, roundtables, forums, Research processes and interviews brought together leaders from NGO, government, academic, infrastructure, environment, community and health sectors. They assessed the current state of the city, held forums to identify possible solutions and conducted extensive research working towards synergy across sectors. Melbourne's first resilience strategy was born as a result of this process. The strategy anticipated and sought to mitigate challenges spanning social, ecological, and economic domains, addressing population growth, natural disasters, social inequality, unemployment, climate change, and domestic violence. The initiative has generally been regarded as a success and has given rise to concrete developments like Melbourne's urban forest project, known as Living Melbourne. Key benefits to this approach included access to philanthropic funding, cooperation through non-hegemonic leadership, formal capacity building, and increased communication across various offices, and access to a network of partners across sectors. However, funding ran out in July 2019, once the Rockefeller Foundation withdrew its support relatively suddenly. This illustrates the risk of relying too heavily on private funding and philanthropic networks for international city initiatives. Because it is not a major financial hub, Melbourne has tended to have a less overt presence in major city networks and global initiatives. Rather, it quietly serves as an example of the kind of people-oriented, multicultural, global-looking but locally-rooted city that many experts have hailed as a model for the urbanized future. As it continues to grow over the next decades, we may expect Melbourne to step into a stop spotlight on the world stage. In the meantime, Melbourne must continue to evolve and grapple with challenges both particular to its locale and endemic to city diplomacy and development.